So in my neighborhood, there's lots of dogs. And on my street, everybody has a dog, everybody. And uh, I uh, frequently go out early in the mornings to walk my uh, golden retriever, Toby. And it's great. I walk by and I like set off this domino chain reaction of dogs barking all through the... I rile them all up because they're out there, see my dog and they're, they're barking. And I know most of the dogs by name, you know, uh, folks that uh, live nearby. But there's one dog... Uh, that is kind of new to the neighborhood, and he's bigger than all of the others behind one of those electric fences, and he has the most ferocious posture. He comes running, kind of like he just wants to get at you, and he's got a pretty deep voice, pretty deep bark, and uh, I have thought several times about going up to him, approaching him, because I like to pet all the dogs in the neighborhood. I, I consider myself a pretty good dog person. have always had a dog except for three years when we were in seminary uh, at the, uh, the apartment. They didn't let us have dogs there, but otherwise always had a dog. So I thought, you know, you go up, you always, what, offer the back of your hand, right? It's not, not a scar startle the dog. And I say, I go up to him and he's barking like he's going to take my arm off. I was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> And, and I just have not gotten up the courage yet. And he's probably a teddy bear. He's probably just fine. But behind that fence, he wants, me to let, he wants to let me know, don't come near my house. He's being territorial or whatever. Uh, and, and so one day, maybe I'll tell you the story. Maybe I'll come in all bandaged up and you'll know uh, <laughs> what happened. And, and I think, you know, as I was walking Monday, I thought, you know, uh, in the eyes of some folks, that's how they perceive God. There's this perception that God is not really approachable and he's really angry. <laughs> and that um, he's really angry with them. And, and, and I know that, that this is so because I've heard it so many times. And I hear it from folks outside the church. Uh, I, I, many times I've heard people joke, well, if I come to church, a roof would cave in on me. Some of you worshiping online, maybe that's why you're worshiping online. I don't know. <laughs> well, let me tell you this last week, true story. Friend of mine, pastors Grace Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and uh, they 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 had this catastrophic failure of the roof, and it rained massive, you know, these Florida storms, rain, everything in the the sanctuary, everything got wet, the sound systems destroyed. They're all sitting on damp chairs today, so be grateful for your dry seats. And it's all because this guy walked into church last Sunday. <laughs> no, no. They got, so they got hit bad by Hurricane Ian, and they were repairing the roof. They had tarp, and the tarp got blown off, and all the rain came in. But it wasn't because somebody walked into church. They have one of the biggest recovery ministries in the country. They have all kinds of folks who say, uh, I, I, I should be the last person to go to church, and they have been such an amazing difference maker in the lives of so many people. I, I love their work. So I, I, this series is for, for you, if that's you. A series is also for some of you who grew up maybe in legalistic, kind of fundamentalist churches, where you were given the very clear message that God is angry, and that he is angry at you most of the time. I know that because I've had so many people tell me that over the years, and some folks are in recovery from that. I want you... And I want our friends who may not yet know the goodness of God to hear this. God is for you. God is for us. And we're going to spend the whole month of June digging into that, looking at the different ways that God 
is for us. And uh, basing it, uh, if you're familiar with Romans 8, basing it on that great passage in Romans 8, the series is based on this. When he says, well, what then shall we say? Paul's writing. In response to these things, go back and read all of chapter 8. It's glorious. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The greatest evidence that God is for us is that he gave his one and only son. Do you, need, you don't need any greater proof than that. In that God loved you so much, he gave his one and only son to die for you. Whatever you're feeling, unworthy, unloved, or that somehow God is angry, look at the cross. And, and, and filter everything through the cross. That's what he says there. How, how God is for us. He's given us one and only son. And you say, but, but, but man, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the life I've lived. Yeah, there, there is a sin problem. In fact, the verse just before our scripture reading today says this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. Now, maybe you grew up in a church and that would be the passage and they'd preach on this every week. <laughs> now, that's a heavy message because what he just said there is God sees everything and you're going to give an account one day. Now, that, that would cause you, that, that should cause you to be a little concerned and to tremble. But then he follows it up with the passage we just heard about Jesus, our great high priest who represents us to God and saves us from our sin. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called good news. It's good news in light of our... Now, if there's good news, it necessarily means there's bad news. And there is bad news. We sin, we blow it. We fall from the goodness of God. God sees it all. We're going to give an account one day, but he loves us. Because this gives a solution. Let me, let me underscore these verses again. Let's read this. This was read earlier by Brett. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. Profess, I'm sorry. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God with confidence because of what Jesus has done. So today, I want us to consider Jesus the high priest and that he gets us because he has lived in this world. God became a human being, became a man and walked among us he gets us. That the commercials you see running on TV, the whole theme is, is he gets us because he's been in our shoes. Jesus was a child. And Jesus said, let the children come to me. Jesus gets us and our weakness and what we go through. And because he's one of us, Jesus gets us. Now, this passage makes a couple points that I think are so important for us to understand that God is for us. And the first is that he's walked alongside of us. He walked in our world. <clears throat> Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, 
yet he did not sin. When we read the Gospels, first thing that happens in Jesus' ministry is he gets baptized. And then immediately upon his baptism, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness where for 40 days he prays and he fasts, goes without food for 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, the tempter, that same tempter that showed up in the garden to our first parents, came to tempt him with three very powerful temptations. And we know that he responds with scripture each time and dismisses them and does not fall to the temptations. But this was true throughout his life. It says here, he was tempted in every way like us. He faced all of the temptations, but one big difference, well, two big differences. First is that he, he did not sin. So this means that he faced the full fury of temptation. Uh, and, and in that way, he really understands temptation better than us. You think, what do you mean? The Son of God understands temptation better? Than yes, he does. Because he didn't give in. When you give in, the battle's over. And you kind of quit, right? We know what that's like. Let's say a friend of yours offends you. You get in an argument with your friend. Your friend says something very unpleasant, unkind, and you, you bite your tongue, and you, you try to be gracious in the conversation, but then you go home and you mull over it. You start thinking about it, and you're thinking, man, next time, I, I'm going I'm to get this guy. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell him what for, you know? And, and, then, and, and then you say, no, 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 I'm going to resist. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I'm going to respond with grace. And you hold out for an hour or two. <laughs> and then you just can't resist it. And then you let them have it. How many times, you know, arguments just escalate from here to there and, and you fall for it and you have a short fuse and you get angry and you say, oh man, why did I say that? Now, now the whole thing's about what I've said to them instead of what they said to me to begin with and it's escalated. See, you gave in to temptation. What if you would have held out for another day or two or week or two or month or two or just forever? Then you'd really understand what it's like to face temptation because you never give in to it. Jesus was that way. The full fury of temptation. One author says, no one on earth has been through spiritual desolation and the anguish that Christ faced because he was human like us. Fully divine, fully human. Fully human in every way. And that way he can understand us. Going back to chapter two in Hebrews, uh, he says this, for this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The only way that Jesus could really be a priest, and we'll talk about what that means to be a priest in a minute, is that he under, would understand us. And so it, he had to be made human in every respect. God separate is above. And a human being could say, well, you don't understand. Job when he was going through all of his suffering, when he was going through all of the, the uh, anguish, he says, oh God, if you would just come down here, I'm paraphrasing, what he essentially says, if you would just come down, you'd see how hard it is. Well, God did. He did. And he was born into this world as a human being. And he faced everything that you and I face. Oh, sure, there are modern temptations and stuff that in our day that he wouldn't have had then, but the essence, the, the kernel of temptation 
behind the temptations Jesus faced. They're the same that we face today. It says he, it uses this word here in, in Hebrews, he has empathy then. You know, the difference between sympathy and empathy? Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Sympathy is feeling sorrow and maybe even pity for somebody who's going through a hard time. You can feel sympathy for folks who, who struggle. But if you've not faced that particular struggle, you can't say, oh, I know what you're going through. You can say, I'm sorry. And sometimes, you know, when a person is suffering, by the way, we've said this over, uh, over time, best thing you say is nothing. Just give the gift of presence. Uh, if you've not been through it, don't say, I understand. Uh, Brad, I understand, you know, he's going to camp this week. I led extreme camp for 21 years been there done that I will enjoy my own bed this week thank you but I but I don't just sympathize I empathize I've been there you know we don't say I know what you're going through if you don't know what they're going through a man can never say to a woman when she's in labor I know what you're going through (laughs) don't even try guys remember many years ago there was a special there was a feature on Carol Burnett any of you see that was kind of her life and it's pretty cool anyway she tried to explain to men what childbirth was like she said, take your lower lip and pull it over your face, and that's what it's like. I said, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to empathize with that. <laughs> Empathy means, though, I've been in your shoes. I've seen it in the church. In Stephen ministry, we're Stephen minister. Maybe they're meeting with someone who lost their job. They got fired. And that Stephen minister said, I know I've been there. I, I got fired once, too. Don't your, when someone tells you something like that or they've been through something similar, don't your ears just perk up a little bit more? It's like, oh, you lean in. Or someone who's had a terrible loss, somebody else who's had a loss like you, you, they, you understand they empathize. Well, Jesus doesn't just have sympathy and pity for us. He has empathy. He's been here. He's walked with us. Now, he walks above us as our high priest. He's a perfect high priest. Let's go back to this um, verse. Um, This just follows the verse that says, God sees everything and we're gonna give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, Hebrews um, is written to Jewish Christians. So it, it quotes extensively from what we call the Old Testament over and over and over again, all right? And also concepts in the Old Testament that the Jewish Christian readers who were getting this letter would have understood, like the concept of priesthood. Many of us don't understand the concept of priesthood. If you were Jewish, you grew up with that. You understood it. A priest is somebody who represents you to God. And in the Old Testament, because the Messiah had not yet come, who is our priest, there were human beings who were priests for a season, They would die, or they would age out, and somebody else would step in their place. Some of the priests were good. Some of them were downright wicked, like in 1 Samuel, Hophni and Phinehas were terrible. Then you had some good ones. But but the job of a priest was to represent the people before God. Now, we believe that because of what God has done in Christ, you don't need someone to represent you. 
You need somebody to pray for you. You need somebody to hold you up. You need somebody to walk with you. But you don't need somebody to represent. You don't need me. I'm your pastor. I'm not your priest. Because you don't need me to represent you before God. You can go before God and have your own relationship with him. So Jesus is what? He is our representative to the Father. He represents us now to God. So we have a perfect high priest who walked in our shoes, who lived in this world, who faced temptation. And therefore, when we're struggling and we're going through hardship in life, we can talk to him because he's been there. He's experienced it. Um, and again, he experienced, he experienced it in total victory, though. Um, it says that he faced everything except he did not sin. We don't talk a lot about that. We should talk probably more about it, the, the, the sinlessness of Christ. There are remarkable aspects of Jesus and his life. Uh, we talk about his death often. His death was unique, one of a kind. His resurrection, of course, nobody has beaten death, only Jesus. But the other thing that's so remarkable about Jesus is that he lived as a human in this world and never sinned. Now, this is so important, you see, because if Jesus sinned, he'd be in the pit sinking with us. Now, as it was, he got in the pit and he experienced all of the hardship and the hurt and the pain and the darkness of this world. But when it came to temptation, he didn't give in to it. So we fall in that pit, but he's above it. You see, he stands above the pit because a, 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 a savior who sins is really no savior because he's in the pit with us. How can he ever get us out of the pit if he's in there with us? But now because he's above it, he can pull us out. That's what David said. I waited patiently for the Lord. He, he, he replied and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit, out of the mud and the mire and set my feet on a rock. How can you be lifted out of the pit except by somebody who's not in it. And so that's Jesus. He's sinless. And yet, here's the thing. You may know some folks who think they're sinless, right? You may know some folks who think they're perfect, and they have this sort of condescending, arrogant sort of tone to them. I'm better than you. You'll never get that from Jesus. No. That's why in verse 2, now in, in chapter 5, he switches over to talk about human being high priests and, and the priests who went before Jesus. Um, but he's, he's also making an analogy to Jesus. And, and he's talking about humans. And he said human uh, priests are able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. Jesus is also that way. He deals gently. As a perfect high priest, he deals gently with those who've gone astray, with those who have sinned he was gentle then he's gentle now what he's trying to say here is that <clears throat> we have this high priest and it's still jesus we have a human being in heaven it's the same jesus who walked the face of the earth you know how he was towards sinners read the gospels the only people he was ever harsh with were the religious leaders who didn't think they had a problem or a need because if you don't think you have a problem, you're never going to confess it. If you never confess it, you're never going to get right with God. And so theirs was the, really the ultimate problem. But to those who knew they were weak, to those who sinned, to those who failed, he was so gentle. One of my favorite Jesus stories is the woman caught in adultery. You know that story? It's found in John chapter 8. 
It was really a, <clears throat> an attempt by the religious leaders to trap Jesus. And so they bring this woman, there's a crowd of them gathered, and they say, Jesus, we, we found this woman in the very act of adultery. The law says to stone her, what do you think? Well, they think they've caught Jesus on the horns of a dilemma, that he's trapped. Because if he says stoner, well, his whole reputation as a friend of sinners and being gracious to weak, sinful people would be destroyed. If he says don't stoner, he violates the law because the law said to stone somebody who was committing adultery. And so he says, what do you think? What, what should we do? And I love it. Jesus doesn't answer. He just says he stoops to the ground and he starts to write. We're not told what he wrote. Uh, best theory I've heard is that he's writing the sins of the people who are gathered there. <laughs> and he says, he looks up at him and says, let him who's without sin throw the first stone. So they began one by one to drop their stones and walk away. Um, and you go back to the passage and it says, um, so the, the, they all walk away. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See the beauty there? Jesus doesn't excuse. He says, leave, leave your sin. But he says, I don't condemn you. See how gentle he was? He dealt gently with those who were sinners and disregarded by the church, by the, by the religious community of the time. And you know what? He's the same Jesus today. That's what the author of Hebrews is wanting to say. The same compassion, the same grace that he had then, he still has today. There's a Puritan preacher way back in the day in early America. His name was Thomas Goodwin. And he wrote a, a, a book on this passage. Now, back in the day, they had really long titles for books. You ever see some of the titles? Uh, it was on this passage in Hebrews. And the title of the book uh, is The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. And he wants, to, he wants to look at this, and, and basically in the book, he shows that, that Jesus has the same heart now for sinners that he had when he was on earth. But here's the subtitle to the book. Get this. This is, the, this is on the cover. A treatise demonstrating the gracious disposition and tender affection of Christ in his human nature, now in glory, unto his members under all sorts of infirmities, either of sin or misery. That's a title. Google that on Amazon. Look for that on Amazon. Uh, but it says it all. He, but the title kind of says it all. You don't need, I haven't read the book. I don't need to. I've read the cover. <laughs> um, his heart now is the same. And when you sin and you condemn yourself and you're filled with shame, he is so tender and gracious and forgiving and wants you to embrace you. When you read the Gospels, the same Jesus is the one in heaven. He's there now. And when, and here's the good thing, when sinners were in the presence of Jesus, he did not scold them or scowl at them. You know how you can communicate with just body language or facial expression, looking down on someone? He didn't. When he described himself, he said, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. No one got a, a scolding when they came to Jesus in their weakness. When people confessed, I don't have enough faith, he stepped in. People said they were weak. Oh, they're sinners. He loved them. 
say, I'm, I'm not that way. And it's hard for us to understand that because we don't see it much. Maybe you were raised by a parent or parents who um, really knew how to lay on the guilt, really knew how to make you feel bad, or really overreacted when you did something wrong. I know I did. There are times I had to go to my kids and apologize later for how I corrected them. I had to go say, Daddy, really messed up. I, did not, I should not have raised my voice. Would you forgive me? Here's the thing. Jesus will never have to come and ask you to forgive him for how tough he was on you when you confess that sin. He'll, he'll never scold you. He'll never overreact. He'll never be harsh. He'll never have a, a harsh knee-jerk reaction to your sin. We do, but not him. And because he went through the worst of it, we can come to him at any time. In our pain, Jesus is pained. He knows. Because I know. I've been there. There's a, a book called Gentle and Lowly written by uh, Dane Ortland, and, and he says this. Listen to this. When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when our longtime friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood. Anybody here ever felt deeply misunderstood? When we're laughed at by others? In short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us, embraces us, with us. Solidarity. A priest, a perfect high priest, has solidarity with us because he's been in our situation. He's for you. He knows how frail you are. He knows how frail I am. He knows that we are made of dust. And he is grace. So that's why he can end with this invitation. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what mercy is? <clears throat> mercy is not getting what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy means you're not going to get that. But then grace is God's favor on top of that. Not only do we, do we not get justice for our sins if we are in Christ, we get mercy, but we get grace thrown on top of that. The love and the kindness of God who calls us his child. Um, Next verse in Passion Translation, it says, Since the high priest is also one who is clothed in weakness, he humbles himself by showing compassion to those who are ignorant of God's ways and stray from them. What he's referring there to are there's two types of sins in the Old Testament. There were unintentional sins like oops, and then there were intentional sins. There were sacrifices available for unintentional sins. You know, there was no sacrifice available for an intentional one. But here... It's all included. Whether we just are ignorant, we do 
we do something wrong because we just don't know better, or we intentionally walk away from it, God's forgiveness and grace is available to us. That's the kind of high priest that we have. So he's for you. Even in your sin, even in your heartache and your suffering, because he's walked in your world, he has experienced the temptation, except to the nth degree, he never gave in. And he's able to come to us. So there's just two things here for us to do. Two things in response to this God who is for us. In verse 14, it says, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, we profess. This letter was written to, I already said, Jewish Christians who were under persecution and were thinking about going back to Judaism because it was just hard. They said, you know, we didn't face all of this persecution when we were um, in the synagogue. Now we became Christians. All this stuff is coming at us. And so he's encouraging. He says, hold on to the faith you professed. Many of you one day stood in front of a group of people like this and you professed faith in Jesus. Hold on to that. And the second thing, draw near. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I don't know, maybe one day I'll draw near to that dog on my block. I don't know. But I want you to know you can draw near to God. He's not going to bite your hand off. He's not going to receive you as maybe others have in life. He's kind. His heart is good and gentle. This is a God who's for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you are for us. And if you're for us, who can be against us? Thank you that the gentleness and the kindness and the humility that you had in this world, the kindness you showed to sinners, you still show to us today because you're the same Jesus. Your heart has not changed. And thank you that you have been through it. Unlike Job, who just was crying out for a God to know his circumstances, we can come and say, yes, you've been here, Jesus. You know what I'm going through, so would you help me? I pray for those who um, may not know your goodness are those who know you, but they live in fear of you and constant shame and guilt. God, may, be, may they be freed of that, and may they know that you are for them. Yes, Jesus. Even now, come Holy Spirit. Give us a new vision for who you are, Jesus. For we pray in your name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.